listening to the Trial and Error Collective Podcast. Hey, this is Parisa. And this is Mike. And you're listening to the Trial and Error Collective Podcast, um, episode nine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, well, funny story here, me and my my old bud here, Mike, recorded this episode and we just got really into it. And it We just up, kept going and going. <laughs> yeah. Got a little out of hand. Yeah, so... This episode about music perception through context and continuity is now going to be a two-part episode. The first part being continuity. Mm-hmm. And part two being all about context. Yeah. So just giving y'all a heads up. This is part one. Yeah, part one. Let's do it. You are now listening to the ninth episode of the Trial and Error Collective podcast. Streaming everywhere online, iTunes, Podomatic, or on our website, www. Too many W's. <laughs> Couple W's in there. Couple of W's. Dot trial and error collective. Got it. Cool. Dot com. And today we're talking about uh, music perception through the ideas of context and continuity. And yes, yeah, so we'll be covering a lot of. Classic age-old questions, you know, talking about creative departures, member changes, all kinds of stuff that, you know, music fans have been boggling their minds over for centuries, and here we are right. to crack the big questions. Right, like Seriously. if, you know, like an artist just goes through a scandal, how does that change how you hear that music, you know what I mean? Yeah. Same song. Totally. But it doesn't sound the same anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, just hmm. kind of figuring, yeah, how do these things influence your perception and how much of these topics should we actively be conscious about? You know, are they superficial or really legitimate things to talk about? You do know? they matter at all? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I think an interesting background to all of this kind of stuff is understanding music psychology. And so I have this paper pulled up um, cool. from Marcus Pierce and Durant Wiggins uh, about auditory expectation and the information dynamics of music perception and cognition. And this kind of, well, this paper is specifically more about um, being able to predict things in music, but they kind of put it Nicely, too, where they say, because uh, expectations play a role in a multitude of cognitive processes from sensory perception through learning and memory to motor responses and emotion generation. Um, accurate expectations allow organisms to respond to environmental events faster and more appropriately and to identify incomplete and ambiguous perceptual input. Right. No surprises. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But I think that's kind of interesting, too. So when we later are talking about continuity and things like that, even just things like, you know, even though it's not directly related to that paper, but just, you know, when we have a, a change in continuity from an artist that we expect something or, you know, and then we don't, why those things are also even just cognitively kind of shocking to us too, even more than just being a good old music snob, you know, there's times where it's like, okay, there's Interesting. actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're listening to that artist to like get your, that fix. 
You know, yeah. it's like, I listen to this and I feel good. And then you go back to check out their new album and you're like, no, this isn't doing it for me <laughs> yeah. this time. Yeah. I exactly. See that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We kind of broke things down, but into continuity, into context. So maybe we can start with some examples of um, continuity and how it uh, has played a role in so many artists' careers. Right. And yeah. And why, why it matters or if it does that, you know, that an artist stays consistent. Mm hmm throughout their career yeah so the first topic we came up with was a creative departure creative departure and i think the most famous example in music history might possibly just be bob dylan going electric yeah yeah there's that the famous uh footage of one of his concerts when he came out with that um i can't even remember what the album was when he went electric mm-hmm um, and people are just booing. He was doing this tour to like introduce everybody to his electric songs, you know, with this full electric band playing the electric guitar and stuff and everybody's booing and throwing stuff at him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he just, he just went, went through it, played the show, uh, you know, and then eventually people came back to the album and liked it. I think uh, him being a folk musician, though, had some cultural significance to it. There's an, people yeah. latched on to that, you know what I mean? They latched on to the idea of Bob Dylan, the acoustic guy. He's mm-hmm. got his acoustic guitar. He's out there with his harmonica. Yeah, just playing out on the streets. Just and... out there talking about, you know, fighting the man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he went electric and everybody got pissed off. Yeah, totally. But he's an artist, so you gotta you got to evolve. Exactly. It's like yeah. what you do. And then like later on down the road, people were like, actually, this electric stuff's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's probably definitely one of the most famous examples. And then it's like, what's what What would it be like if he just kept making the same stuff forever, you know? People would be complaining too. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, nobody wants that. Yeah. No, there's no winning in that. No, you um, just can't win. And other famous examples, totally. I mean, the Beatles is a definitely a big one. Sure, they yeah, they were I mean, like, re- like every album. It's You're right, like, I was just gonna say yeah, yeah, they're just reinventing themselves every year. Yeah, which I feel like for the most part was always pretty well received, which is kind of interesting because yeah. that's not very common yeah, that a well, band. Yeah, I mean, there was always controversy and you know things like that or people. But I mean, for the most part, you don't hear people be like, oh, that was that one Beatles album there. They did that other thing. And, you know, it's more looked at as like, wow, yeah, they reinvented this genre with this album. And then again with this album, you know. Yeah. Another thing I wonder about this whole section is how deliberate it actually is, you know, because Mm. a lot of uh, when the Beatles changed, it, it was it kind of coincided with the new drugs that they were trying out. Yeah, you know that's what I mean? a good it was point. just like yeah. those were kind of just influencing it and it was like this is what we're into now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what we want to do now, but it wasn't just like they all sat down and were like, "Okay, the <laughs> next album we're going to do something different and it's going to be like this." <laughs> yeah, totally. Which was yeah, another really interesting thing too because there definitely are bands that just try and I mean, we even have Beck as an example here where it's a very deliberate oh, yeah. thing, you know. Which is also, I feel like, pretty well received. Where he's like, "All right, this album, yeah, he's good is at it. Gonna be a folk album. The yeah. next album, Bossa Nova. After that, <laughs> pop, pop, and hit. And I'll, when I'll rap on there too. Yeah. You know, 
It's going to be a folk rap with a little <laughs> bossa nova sprinkled in there. And yeah, yeah it's cumbia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's totally, yeah, it's interesting to think about that where it's like, you know, people just changing with the time and then there's... Yeah, David Bowie, we also have down here. He's another good example. He's really good at bouncing from style to style. Mm-hmm. He did a song with, uh, wasn't it Bing Crosby? Oh, probably, like a Chris, yeah. Chris, that Christmas <laughs> song. And everyone was like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> All right. Yeah. And I think he's someone too that he was just kind of like moving along with the times, you know? instead of it necessarily yeah. being like, actually, I'm going to just go this whole other way. Like, I feel like he was just always evolving as he was going, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, in addition to exploring music, he was also exploring different characters mm-hmm. that he wanted to portray or something. Yeah. Totally. And I think Cher is another good example of someone who is just yeah constantly, I mean, so many creative departures, but really it's just going with the times, you know? Like, when you think of... Yeah. old Cher's music and then you got 80s Cher and then her doing like the first auto-tuned song ever, you know? Also, when she first started becoming famous, she was really young, so that's true it's kind too. of inevitable that she yeah. would change, start changing, getting older and doing cooler stuff. Exactly, yeah. Um, um, I think that yeah, we have MGMT as another example. Yeah. Which is pretty funny. So I, I was telling Mike not too long ago, so mm-hmm. I... um ended up getting to go to one of their shows last minute. And it's funny because when I think of MGMT, I think of their like college anthem, electric feel yeah, and, and that kids. Is that, and like, I honestly cannot stand that shit for the life of me. Right. But then when I went to the show, I was like, Oh, I forgot they have also like their new album was like really weird, trippy, psychedelic shit. And also like, yeah, their earlier shit is just like very, in that same vein of like of Montreal animal collective stuff. And it's interesting because you can see how that affected their fan base, even just from that one show, because, you know, when they play the college songs, you would see all these people like, yeah. And then as soon as they got into their weird trippy stuff, everyone's phones went out and they just started texting or talking, uh, you know? <laughs> hmm. I thought you were going to say like, they would play the pop stuff and it would be like the college girls would be like, yay. And then they'd go to the weird stuff and like the 40 year old guys would be like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, the way that I thought, uh, things went with them was that like, they kind of painted themselves into a corner with the first pop album. And then, you know what I mean? Like American Eagle and like whatever other weird companies started using their oh, music. Yeah. Um, to attract like, you know, the younger college kids and they were like, no, that's not actually like what we want to be or do. Mm-hmm. And so then they just, it, out of rebellion, they started making the really weird stuff. That's kind of how I perceived it, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I don't know if it was the second album or one of the albums after that pop album I listened to and it's really dark and super weird and experimental. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of nice. I think that's it's a great. cool thing about like, looking at bands that had have like really big creative departures in that sense, because it's almost like this weird gateway drug where you're like, you know, there might be just some college kids. It's like, Oh yeah, I heard this song on an American Eagle commercial. Yeah, exactly. And, then and before yeah. they know it, they're like, 
Or like, yeah. I, I like to imagine the disappointment of like, I'm going to get the new MGMT album. I like, I liked their first one so much. And then they put it on and it's all weird and they, and they start crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It honestly could go either way, you know? Um, yeah. And I think some other just quick examples. I, I'm a, I'm not too well versed with St. Vincent myself, but I know she's a big example of huge creative departures um, cause you'll always hear people like, I remember the first time I ever heard a song on, I was like, Oh, that was nice. And they're like, yeah, but it's nothing like her older stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's always yeah. that too. Um, that's a, that's a classic line too. Yeah. People love to say that they love the early stuff. Yeah. That's a big part of it to show that you're a real fan, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Kid Cudi is also an interesting example where, he came out with that one album in like 2013 or 14. And, you know, he's like a rapper, but that album was like this weird kind of like grungy acoustic thing. And it got such bad reviews and people were giving him so much shit that he like had to check into a depression clinic and stuff like that bad. Yeah, which is, that's crazy. Yeah, which I think also, I mean... It's about creative departure, but also, I mean, no offense, but it was a really bad album. Maybe he should have just used a different name. Yeah, that's you know a, I mean? that's a good point too. Cause there, I feel like our artists that do that where they're like, totally. All right, even though I'm the same person, it's the same band. We'll just have different name. This is what this sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. even kind of like, even like slight things like, like VOCs, for example, they've gone under so many different member changes and things that it's like. There's the OCs and then there's some albums that are just under OCs or like OCS and like all this stuff, you know? That's cool. Yeah. Which I kind of appreciate because it kind of also sets you up to just be like, all right, just so you know, listen to this with no expectations, you know? Right. Just a new name, every album. Totally fine. Yeah. Um, And so the second example that we wanted to get into for continuity is talking about member changes and lineup changes within a band. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's huge. You know what? Yeah. (laughs) Like if they had gotten rid of Ringo, Mm. although I guess Ringo was an early member change. He came on, he was the last member to join. Oh yeah. You're trying. Yeah. That's a good point. But that doesn't really count because they weren't super famous yet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, I think, I mean, the one that I feel like you most commonly hear about is the is Van Halen. What do they say? Oh, yeah. Well, a, Van Halen and Van Hagar. Van Hagar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And honestly, my stepdad loves Van Hagar. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But yeah, but that's always one of those things, too, that within the music community, like within the fan, fan base of a certain band, that sort of thing can cause such a divide, you know? And it's like... Even though it's all under the umbrella of the same band, some people are like, no, 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 that's not the real band. That's the biggest member change, too, is the, the lead singer. Yeah. You swap out the lead singer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a pretty big deal. And we have the other example of Black Sabbath. Yeah. That's when they neat. switched over to Dio. Yeah. Not everybody um, liked that. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, Ozzy went solo and had a great time without him. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it didn't really matter much to him. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, too, where, you know, we have the example of, like, The Misfits and Morbid Angel, both of which where, like, Morbid Angel, for example, right now, um, Steve is their 
lead singer. And the thing is, they're a band that's like, they've gone through like, I don't know, maybe like three singers now. Um, but the guy who's like on all the big albums, like on Altars of Madness and all that, he has a different Morbid Angel band. So like, it's, it's oh. also that weird thing where there's like different, and there's like weird copyright laws that go on under it too. And like who can play what, but sometimes there's those situations where there's like two morbid angels, you know, do they, does one ever open for the other band? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, Back but yeah, that's kind of like with the misfits. The same songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the misfits, you know, you had like, you know, Danzig and then there was like, uh, uh, what what's his name? Jerry only. So yeah, Jerry uh, only yeah. does. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, and it's under the title of Jerry only's the misfits, you know, uh, hmm. there's some ego there. Yeah. The other good example that we don't have written down, uh, but I thought of is iron maiden. Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure. I love it when Wikipedia has those charts, the timelines. Yeah, the yeah. charts <laughs> where it's like each member has a different little color strip and it shows like what years they were in the band. Mm-hmm. And like uh, Iron Maiden is one of those bands where the chart is super complicated <laughs> and the bass player is the only one whose strip goes all the <laughs> yeah. way from the beginning. He's the only original member uh, left. They just like cycle through drummers and singers and guitar players and stuff. Mm-hmm. And people like drop out and come back and like people are only in the band for like two weeks and stuff. <laughs> it's true because I remember I saw Yes a couple of years ago and I was reading their Wikipedia chart timeline thing to be like, I wonder if there's any like original members in the band, but then sometimes it's funny because sometimes that doesn't even matter because the people who are on the albums, like close to the edge or like the hit yes albums. Yeah. Those people weren't even original members, you know? Yeah. Cause that was already like right. so many years into their career. So it's like, okay, well I don't even care about it being an original member. I just want the members that were on the good albums, you know? And you know, sometimes it, the member changes make it a lot better. Like I would say that uh, when uh, David Gilmore joined Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Total change for the better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Grateful Dead is another obvious one because they're still going. There's yeah. It's like a, it becomes like a company. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's kind of also a funny thing when, you know, people now can be like, yeah, I've seen the Grateful Dead, but the people who also in the sixties or whatever, they're like, yeah, I saw the Grateful Dead. It's like their two experiences are so completely different. Yeah. You know, I've seen, um, the original whalers. Oh, right. It's, they're playing Bob Marley songs. Right. Mm -hmm. But really the only member that they have from like the original whalers is like the keyboard player who is only like playing keys on like one or two tours. I think <laughs> yeah. I could be totally wrong about that. And I hope that I didn't insult anybody, with that. But, <laughs> but they're still really good. You know, listening, listening to that. It's technically not a cover band. If you have somebody that was on a couple tours in mm-hmm. the original band, it's not a cover band, even though the singer is different. Drummer is different. Yeah. Totally. They, nobody there wrote any of the songs. Totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Black Flag, another example too. Right. Henry Rollins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that also is a big 
divide, I think, among, you know, how it affects fanship, you know, depending on, oh, but which black right. flag are you it's like a fan a of? It's a question of loyalty, yeah. Exactly. Mm. Um, and I think there's also interesting examples with member changes for things that don't really matter. Like, so I put Nine Inch Nails as an example because that's something where it's like, well, it's really just about Trent Reznor. That's really, you know. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting and thing too, where there's almost not even like there's lineup changes every single tour almost. And that's there's fine. Yeah. And also not every band makes characters out of the band members. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like with the Beatles, it was like those four guys. Well, those are the characters, you know, you yeah. had the action figures of the four guys. You couldn't swap any of them out. Same with Kiss. Mm -hmm. You can't just like bring in good old Gary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just slap band. some makeup on him. No it's, one will notice. Yeah, yeah. So, but there's bands that don't stress that as much and it's like, it's okay. Oh, it's a different guitar player based. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Same songs. As long as the singer's there. Yeah, totally. And sometimes too, there's like a weird, like kind of even going off that Nine Inch Nails example, even though there's times like that where it shouldn't matter. Sometimes there's a weird nostalgic thing like, for example, when I think about Marilyn Manson, it's like, well, obviously it's just Marilyn Manson, you know, like he's the one that's making the music. So it shouldn't. But then mm -hmm. when I think of Marilyn Manson, I'm thinking of like, you know, all of his like his stories that he had with his. I mean, I hate Jordy White now, but with like Jordy White and he had Pogo and, you know, all these like freaks that. I don't know. There was just like that nostalgic quality because I remember seeing them in the music videos when I was a kid, you know? Right. So that's kind of a funny thing too, where it's like now I'd be like, oh, I couldn't see Marilyn Manson because, you know. It doesn't have the original yeah, lineup. Even mm. though it really doesn't matter in any way, shape or form. <laughs> and yeah. I know that, but there's that weird. Well. And also, I mean, I haven't liked his music since like, I don't know, 2000 or whatever, <laughs> but. They use Aside that. They use that as a selling point when they're promoting tours. Sometimes, though, they'll mm -hmm. say like original lineup. Yeah, right. That's true too. And people are always like, "Yeah," and then you're oh, like, right. "Wait, yeah. who's that guy?" Yeah, <laughs> it's just like a bunch of old people <laughs> yeah. on stage. Hooray! <laughs> and it's also to think about. Funny to think about bands who've been around forever, and all their members are the same, but they always just have to hire a young drummer, you know, because it's like, like yeah. I, I thought about yeah. that at like the acid mother's temple show where it's like, these guys have been playing music for like 20 years and they all have like, you know, long white beards and their drummer is like 19. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> that's, it's true. There's a lot of work that goes into playing the drums a lot more than playing the guitar. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's hard to do that when, yeah. you know, don't want to get your, long gray beard caught in the drum set and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why the only member of, um, ZZ top that doesn't have a beard <laughs> is the drummer, <laughs> but his last name is beard. Exactly. So it makes up for it. <laughs> so he kind of still does have a beard. Exactly. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That had nothing to do with that. Topic. <laughs> and what's the next one we got here? Yeah, so our next continuity example is um, the continuity of someone's identity and appearance. Um, right. Yeah. So, okay, so we should start with the best example, right? Oh, yeah, I see him there. He's he's just, oh, yeah. it's just the initials. It's just the initials. <sighs> it's, yeah. 
think the most obvious one of all time. MJ. Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because that was, I mean, also he was like the most famous person that ever lived. So anything he did was on the news, but he had such an extreme, like more than anyone, like extreme appearance change over the course of his career slash life. Yeah. And it didn't seem to bother too many people. I don't know. I feel like it pissed off all ki- I mean, people would just like say all kinds of shit about him and like tease him mm. and Did it affect his record sales though? Mm, yeah, that's true. Definitely. May- may- well, hmm, I don't know. Maybe it did. I mean, we just don't know. Like maybe his album, his newer albums would have been, you know, five times as big as they were. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because I feel like still every single album, I mean, Thriller is, is that, I don't know if it's still the best selling record or what the thing is, but also I feel like every album he put out after was still like a multi-bajillion dollar. Right, yeah. But yeah, one of those things that, yeah, I mean, yeah, he would still obviously get teased for it and, you know, the butt of everyone's joke and people freaking out like, what's happening, you know, wacko jacko, what's happening to him? He looks like a freak, you know. Right. Um, And I don't know if I ever actually knew the reason that his skin color changed. Do you know? He said said it was like a condition that he had. A condition, yeah. Do you believe that? It's hard to say. Like, I feel like I do, but then also I feel like, you know, there's rumors like maybe he had that and some of his skin was spotting and then to even it out. They would do like these type of bleaching treatments and stuff. So I could see that. There's all kind of rumors, you know. I mean, honestly, I did not care. Yeah. Like when I was little, and like you know, Beat It and Billie Jean and Thriller and stuff was coming out. Like, and but I knew, like, growing up, we had a uh, VHS tape with um, some of his best music videos, and so it went from like. When he was younger, not not to uh, the Jackson Five, not oh, that yeah. far back, but like um, "Don't Stop" or whatever. Yeah. Uh, on and where mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, yeah, and he's got the fro, and then it evolves, and I was just, I thought it was cool that he like physically <laughs> was like evolving into this new person, and um, and I actually thought that he was a woman for a while. Mm. This is when yeah, I was really young. Yeah. And I yeah, was I like, like, that's that was... just, it's just a woman, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and it's great. So the music's great, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, that is an interesting point to bring up too, that even though he's probably the most famous example of a night, like appearance change and he, you know, it was a big deal at the same time when it comes to fanship, it definitely probably wasn't a huge effect on his sales, you know? So that's kind of interesting to think about. How do you think it affected uh, people's perception of his music? Mm, I mean, I'm sure there was so many people that just, they just called him out to be a freak, you know? And they were just so that it was just like, mm. I don't want anything to do with him. Right. But. Okay. Okay. Let me put it this way. Yeah. Would the Free Willy song sound the <laughs> same if he had dark skin and an afro? Mm, yeah it's like probably would yeah like it would but then you know it's always one of those things that you never know how people are going to react to things you know yeah interesting we'll never know really yeah we'll never know how his career would have I don't know in my opinion I feel like when I'm thinking about 
like all the headlines and things that came out when he was going on, like all that physical change and his various nose jobs, nose jobs and things yeah, like his that. Hair, his hair became straight. I think those were all more negative than they were positive. I mean, yeah, I would definitely say they were more negative. He just wanted his nose to be like narrower and narrow, pointier and pointier and pointier. Yeah. That was weird. That was a weird time. And still the music was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And well, we'll get into more of examples about him when we come to when we come to public scandal, but for now, yeah, that's just the uh, Let's leave it there. Yeah. We'll come back to that. But um yeah, who else's identity and appearance changed and how did that affect their music? Um, so there's a lot of interesting like examples about identity change when it comes to sexual orientation and people coming out to, um, so there's an interesting, like, even if we think about like Ricky Martin, for example, you know, who was like the Latin sex symbol of the nineties and, and you know, he's gay and, but it's like, he couldn't come out then. And it's like so sad to watch those videos Mm. now and just think like, he wouldn't have at all had the same career, obviously, because he was marketed as, you know, the sexy Latin guy to all the ladies, right. you know. So he had to keep it secret during like the height of his career. And then after he sort of yeah. came out. Well, well after too. And it's kind of the yeah. same with uh, when you think about like Lance Bass from NSYNC, you know, they were a, a boy band. Yeah. And that was very much marketed toward, I mean, it was marketed towards everyone, but there was a huge market for girls, girls, you know. Yeah. So then he just had to stay in the closet for that entire Mm, career. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think now no one, like, since he's come out, be like, oh, NSYNC, it's not the same to listen back to them, you know. I wouldn't say it's like that, but it's still just interesting to kind of think about. Think about, yeah, what those artists have to do to, like, keep up the act. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And I know a big current examples Tyler the creator oh yeah that's right you're telling me that I didn't know that mm-hmm. yeah that he came out I don't know a couple of years ago and stuff and just kind of how that's was do would really... you say that was at the peak of his career yeah yeah I mean I feel that's like great. he's had like yeah like because you know he used to be in in that collective odd future wolf gang kill them all and that was a big point but yeah now that he's gone solo and then he put out an album or two and then came out. And so now it's also really just affected the music and the way he, you know, presents himself and his like lyricism and things Mm -hmm. like that, that it's might be, I don't know, because he can share that part of himself. It's become this, I don't know. Yeah. You can get that more vulnerable sense of someone when, you know, when you're listening to their music, you you know them a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. You can like read into the lyrics a little bit more maybe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can't forget about, um, while we're still on this topic, Elton John and also Freddie Mercury. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those are huge ones. I don't, I know that, uh, Elton John had to keep it a secret for a while. Yeah. I assume Freddie Mercury did. Yeah. But it didn't seem like much of a secret. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. They're just doing their thing, making great music. People didn't seem to care very much. Right. Although I have heard well, that Queen did have to like do a lot of extra work that some other bands didn't have to do to get successful. Oh yeah, totally. 
And I think if anything, sometimes like there's the other end of the spectrum where someone's sexuality just like gets in the way of like people just listening to their music because people always want to like see things through like through this other lens of like, you know, right. Like, yeah. The more conservative audience gets turned off. Yeah. And like, I assume I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. It seems, it seems insane. Yeah. Where it's even, you know, an artist is being interviewed and the interviewer keeps asking about like their sexual preferences and things like that. And it's like, dude, I just, I just want to make my music. You know what I mean? Like this has nothing to do with it, you know? Right. So for some artists, it's like that personal side of them has nothing to do with their music. And then on the other side, there's some where it's like, this is totally going to affect my evolution as an artist, you know? Right. Mm. That's crazy. Hmm. Well, also kind of a thing that I think just comes with age. But when I think about the Beastie Boys and their really early stuff, you know, they have like the song Girls and they're just kind of like these like immature, like party dudes, you know? Yeah, that persona. Yeah. Party, party bros. Yeah. And then later on in their career, it's like it's still like fun, you know, hype, good music. But But they're more mature. Yeah. And then, you know, they did like. Free Tibet concert and you did know. they? Oh yeah, ah. yeah. There's a really good uh, live DVD, yeah. and there's like all these monks there, like behind this, like watching from oh, the stage cool. and what? stuff. I never even heard of that. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um. So that's also kind of like a funny identity evolution, you know. When you listen to like older Beastie Boys, and you're like, man, these guys are just a bunch of assholes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they just like just party and having a good time, and then yeah. They also have those uh, funk instrumental albums with one of them on stand-up bass and stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. And, like, organs and stuff with no rapping on it or singing at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's... Totally. To just show that they're, like, real musicians, too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's really cool. Um, And some more appearance examples. I think Lana Del Rey is also an interesting one because... You know, if you look at like really early videos of her, like before she got famous, I mean, you know, she still, she just looks like a normal girl singing songs and stuff. Sure. And I feel like be- her music is very much connected with an aesthetic, you know, of like, you know, her music's this very dramatic Hollywood cinematic sort of thing. And mm-hmm. her appearance definitely grew and coincided with the aesthetic of her music. And I think for a lot of fans, that really does matter because when they hear that, they want the full fantasy, you know, of the girl with the flowers in her hair and this like, you mm-hmm. know, kind of 60s glam. Because I mean, I mean, look at the way that it's shaped like festival culture and the way that girls dress, you know. Oh, uh, I mean? yeah. Yeah. So totally. I think, you know, in, in situations like that, too, like sometimes appearance almost makes it more like authentic for people. That when they hear this song, this like croony kind of singer, that they see this kind of 60s glam woman singing it, you know? Right. Yeah. They want they want the uh, person to match what they hear. You know what I mean? Exactly. When they look at them, they want that to match the song that they hear. Totally. And that kind of reminds me, like I had a friend in high school who he was a busker and stuff and he just kind of play like folk music on the streets. And he said it wasn't until he started wearing a cowboy hat that he yeah. started making oh, yeah. tips, you know? Sometimes, yeah, people just think like, oh, okay, he's got a cowboy hat. He's probably from the desert. He's really singing from the soul, you know? Nice. And it's like he's singing the same shit without the hat or not, but 
sometimes when you sell that full package fantasy, then for some reason people just really connect with it right. more. Right. Yeah. Um, reminds me of uh, the Millie Vanilli situation. <laughs> yeah, you know totally. I mean? It's yeah. like it's still the same song. But. It's the same songs. And they were like propping these two guys up as like, these are the artists. <laughs> like, look at them while the music's playing. And then it comes out that those guys had nothing to do with the music. <laughs> yeah. And so also kind of going back into Nine Inch Nails, another interesting example for identity evolution is sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. how much that, you know, when I look at, when I watch like old Trent Reznor videos, like live videos, and I think, man, this was like, the peak of his addiction and you can just see how like dark of a place he was in, you Mm. know? And then now when you see it and he's just like this super ripped, (laughs) like healthy dude. Yeah. You know, which is like an, it's just funny because I know it's an absolutely awful thing to say because you should never like link like someone's depression to music being more like authentic, you know? But it's yeah. like sometimes well, when mean, you it happens a lot that it's like yeah. um, Nick Drake, mm-hmm. uh, Elliot Smith, yeah, those totally. are like the two big, two of the big ones for right. And it's like they yeah, didn't, they didn't make it through though, unfortunately. Exactly. Those two. Yeah, it's like sometimes if you yeah when you watch him perform like I don't know whatever songs like back when he's like at the worst point of his life, it's like, fuck, I don't want to say that this was better because it's like, you know, but you're like, man, (laughs) you do totally like feel that difference when like someone's like in a much better place, but they're singing the most crushingly depressing lyrics versus when someone's really like in it and living it, you know? So it's, yeah, absolutely. Again, fully aware of how horrible that came off but you know what i mean no like no. It's, it's an interesting it's, thing to people consider. bring it up though like uh to go back to van halen again um i i heard that the drummer alex van halen was like a complete alcoholic through all their best albums and then as soon as he stopped drinking it just like wasn't as good yeah which is like uh, fuck <laughs> here's another potential example red hot chili peppers oh yeah totally it's like fuck the music sucks now dude yeah they're not even writing it anymore it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <sighs> uh, it's rough but it's like do you really want somebody to like destroy their themselves with drugs and alcohol just so that we can like listen to <laughs> listen to some music i know yeah. so yeah it's like a horrible <clears throat> you gotta find you gotta strike that balance you totally re- you really do yeah of like writing music that you emotionally connect with, but also not having to be depressed to write, you know, good music. Right. And kind of also going off, you know, sobriety and that kind of change. I think uh, religion plays a big factor too of bands that, you know, we got like Korn, for example, and like their bassist was Christian, got super fucking Christian and got all Christianed out. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, a good feud I like to think about is uh, in Return to Forever, which was Chikoria and Aldi Miola. And then mm-hmm. Chikoria is like super Scientology, super Scientologist now. And uh, oh. hmm. yeah, and Aldi Miola like won't even play with him or talk to him anymore because he's like, that guy's just so far out there. Yeah. And uh, the Beatles went down that road too with Eastern religions and like mm-hmm. not everybody totally. was on board with yeah. that. And like they started bringing in um, sitars and stuff, and 
mm-hmm. you know, Ravi Shankar and George Harrison especially went hard down that road and uh, totally like singing about Krishna and and his and his solo stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, and I mean that was a controversial thing at that time too when people are like, no, the Hare Krishnas are a cult and all of that well, kind of stuff. Any sort of uh, god or religion that you're singing about. You're risking alienating some people that don't want to like listen to that necessarily. So I think a lot of the songs he was saying, I love you in the song, but he was like talking about God. But, you know, mm-hmm. the larger audience could generalize that, to, you know, I love you, you know, my partner and mm-hmm. you know, whoever else. I think uh, I've heard that uh, Bob Marley was told to tone down the religiousness of his oh. lyrics because he was going full Rastafari. Like nice. That was like his mission. Like all of those tours, he was trying to spread Rast- Rastafarian. Nice. Um, and he would tone it down, and so it would be a, it would be a religious song disguised as a love song a lot of times. Mm, yeah, totally. And sometimes he wouldn't disguise it, and he would just say "ja," you know. Yeah. <laughs> the whole way through. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing of like alienating your fans and also other people in your band. You know, like when John Lennon made that song that was like, I don't believe in Krishna. I don't believe in, you know. Oh, yeah. Th- yeah, that that was on one of his solo. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I imagine there's no heaven. Right. Yeah, that whole song. Yeah. that whole, You remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> you guys remember that one? So well, I was like, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> imagine all the people or, or whatever. Yeah, that one little hit that um, he had. Yeah. yeah. So kind of an interesting thing where, again, it's like it's interesting to think of like, you know, on what on what end for a fan? Is it superficial, you know, somebody's identity changing and what makes it feel authentic? Um. So our final last but not least subject within the continuity is uh, selling out and legacy change. Right. Yeah. Well, let's see. So I think. Uh, when I think of selling out slash, I think most people of our generation, I think a big one is Metallica because we went, you know, we grew up in like the, the first era of like downloading and Napster and they had that whole lawsuit and I was like, yeah, that's, that wasn't a good look. Yeah. That was like a huge thing that like, oh, they sold out. Cause like, and there's funny, there's that, uh, there's all these like funny old promo videos you can find too of Metallica being like. You know, the classic, hey, you wouldn't steal a car, so why would you steal music? Because you have millions of fucking dollars, dude. That's why I'm (laughs) stealing it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, um, that's that's one thing. Like, once you're already a super successful artist, um, when you're, like, being greedy about, like, people stealing your music. But then the other other side is, like, when when your fans have watched you go from like a really small band like playing small venues to like getting a little bit bigger and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you sign this huge record deal oh yeah and like all of a sudden like you're making decisions based on um the things that your label Mm -hmm. is telling you uh instead of like what you think your fans you know what i mean it's like you're trading teams kind of i think is the perception and that's a big deal in uh, the punk world oh yeah it's like yeah, I feel like really any punk band of any sort of notoriety, like of any fame can be considered because I feel like the nature of punk especially is like 
underground DIY yeah. till you die. Like non-corporate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is a hard line because, I mean, every every band just wants to get their music out there. So if they have that channel, a lot of people are going to take it. Yeah. You know? And if they can, like, buy a swimming pool with this new, <laughs> like big label money, they're going to want to do it. Yeah. Like, and there's yeah. no shame in that, really. Um, I mean, I guess that depends because a lot of people say there's plenty of shame in that. But um, so I just saw that documentary about Jawbreaker um, and... There was that whole thing how, uh, you know, they started off as like a small band and they were playing that Gilman, that famous Gilman Street venue. And both them and Green Day, once they signed on to record labels, they both got banned from playing there. And so many fans turned against them saying that they sold out. Mm. And the interesting thing that I heard was that, uh, I don't know. Where is that venue? It's in Berkeley. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Okay. Cool. I don't even know. I don't know if it's even still, but, and then the the interesting thing of how it kind of all comes full circle was like, however many years ago when Gilman street was about to shut down, uh, Billy Joe from green day, just even though he got banned from there, he gave them all the money so that they could stay open, you know? Ah, well, 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 see how that all cut, you know, it's like, y'all want to talk about selling out and how, but it's like, well, with that money, he just fucking saved your butts, dude. Yeah. So selling like, out. Sometimes. The joy of selling out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would also say that now in the post-Napster world that selling out is like smiled upon and not frowned upon. It's like if you can sell out, hell yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. Because... Before it was like, you know, underground music versus like pop music. Yeah. Now, now it's just like if, if you can get any money from music, good for you. Yeah. That's great. And I feel like, yeah, now the idea of selling out is so faded out because I mean, now anyone can quote unquote sell out with like a sponsorship because with Instagram and things like that, like. A, bi- a company can just pay you to be like, hey, will you wear our shoes in an Instagram post and just tag us? And then it's like, now every, you know, every artist you see, it's like, oh, hair done by this artist, outfit by Adidas, you know? Right. Yeah. I would say as long as you actually, you genuinely support the the company or product that your music is mm-hmm. um, going towards, then it's good. Yeah. Because, uh I think you you can do you can sell out in a bad way. Like if you're playing music on a Bud Light commercial, like <laughs> it's you know I might not buy your next record. Yeah. Um, also, uh, do you remember when uh, Trump first got elected and like they were trying to get a band to like play for the? I think it was for the inauguration. For inaug- yeah. And every every band they approached was saying no. Yeah. And then they finally got some... Three Doors Down. Was that who it was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Which is also funny because, like, who uh, even cares about... Like, that band had one hit in the 90s. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, not... They, even... had, a, they had a couple. Yeah. But they're on... <laughs> so know, bad. They're already... They're on the way out, so... Yeah, they're they're already it's, at. Yeah, it's dangerous getting your music involved in politics. Politics, you know what I mean? Oof, yeah, so, yeah. So that's it's risky. That's they really rolled the dice. I didn't realize it was them. I thought it was some other like lesser known. Yeah, no, it was just them. I mean, act. But also thinking about 
getting involved in politics. I feel like on the opposite end of the spectrum, like going back to punk bands, you know, every, you remember all of those compilations like rock against Bush. And I feel like if you really want to show your true punk band, like it was like, yeah, you got to have like some, you know, anti Bush or like some sort of political song, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of funny because it can go really totally either way, almost just depending on your genre, you know? Right. And so, so speaking about like legacy changes, um, so I think there's so many artists and celebrities out there that once people meet them or like people have like personal experiences with them, it kind of fucks over their whole legacy. And I think a big one that we've talked about a lot is Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. Right, right. So like the stuff that they do outside of the music that affects mm-hmm. their their image and the way that they their public perception. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just been known to be such an asshole anytime anyone has ever met him. You never hear any nice stories or positive. Or, you know, when you read like Kim Deal's book, uh, she just talks a lot about like, yeah, he's like a horrible person to work with and he's just really mean. That's too bad. Yeah. Which always sucks because, and there's artists, I think a big one too is Morrissey, where it's like, I mean, his legacy is just, the thing is, like, the Smiths will always be, like, one of the biggest bands and, like... Yeah, very influential. Yeah, and he's, like, such an icon, like, the ultimate, quote-unquote, sad boy music icon, you know? Right. And, I mean, his legacy is in, like, the past, like, decade is just, like, oh, my God, dude, just shut up, shut your mouth, you know? Yeah, what, what exactly was he saying? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Like, well... Political stuff? Yeah, political stuff. But then there's also like things that like, you know, at his shows, for example, he's just like such a diva and like he'll charge like $80 for a ticket, play three songs and then just be like, "Mm, no, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, so he Uh, also just kind of like fucks over his fans all the time. I heard a story that when he was driving, he was getting driven to a venue and mm -hmm. he's like ultra vegan guy. Like the kind of guy that's like, I'm vegan, but... He, gives, he makes it, yeah. He gives a bad name to vegans. Exactly. That's too bad. But yeah, they were like driving to a venue and the driver drove past a McDonald's and he was so mad that he canceled the show. No. Oh, God. Yeah. So is that like a rule on his... His, uh, <laughs> his probably yeah, infinite list of rules of like, I don't even want to see a McDonald's. Never even drive by a McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. How can you... I don't think you can get anywhere in America without driving past. You gotta like drive through people's yards. Yeah, <laughs> it's the exactly. only way. All right, we're going down this dirt track and through the woods to get to the venue. Yeah. And then I think there's also legacy changes for the other end where it's like, you, you know, you watch an interview with an artist and you're like, oh, wait a second, they're really smart, you know? Or like, and I think a funny example, even though it's not even real, but. In Wayne's world, when he meets Alice Cooper, yeah, he's like, actually, this is an Algonquin word for <laughs> Miliwake, right? Yeah, exactly, which means the good land or the promised land or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, Ugh, this guy know how to party or what? <laughs> <laughs> so there's also the other end of legacy changes where you see an interview and it's like, oh wait, actually, my whole perception of this artist has changed because they're really smart. And really well thought out. And their music doesn't exactly put them out to be that. Yeah, exactly. And an artist can very easily like ruin the legacy of their music, you know, just by doing something weird. Mm -hmm. And Um, I think um, 
another example too for at least that was a big one for me growing up. I mean, I, I always loved Marilyn Manson, but you know, when I was a kid, he was the poster image of fear during the whole Columbine thing and his music being banned because he was like the most controversial artist in mainstream, you know? And, uh, when Bowling for Columbine came out and Michael Moore did that interview with him. And that was a movie that so many parents saw. And he did that interview and everyone was like, wait, he's actually a really well-spoken guy. Yeah. yeah. Also his role, his uh, thing on family guy. Do you remember that? Vaguely. He like, uh, becomes a father figure for, um, for Chris. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For Chris. And he, like, I think he takes some fishing. Cause <laughs> yeah. Peter's not being a very good dad. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, at the end, like, Marilyn Manson gives him, like, this moral <laughs> lesson. That's totally, to yeah, I feel like that's what, what happened around that time because he was going on, like, all the Fox News shows. And I think everyone was so thrown off that wanted to hate him that when they realized, like, oh, he's actually really smart and is bringing up, like, my favorite mic drop moment of all time, like, my favorite artist interview of all time is in that Bowling for Columbine when he says, okay, if you had a chance to talk to those guys you know, be on the day of their shooting or, you know, whenever the, the trench coat. Yeah. Mafia the, dudes. Yeah. Like the two yeah. guys that the, from Columbine, uh, he was like, what would you say? And without even thinking, he's like, I wouldn't say anything. I would just listen, which is what nobody else did. Oh shit. End of interview. Oh, I just got chills even thinking about it. Damn. And I was like, Oh man. Like, the, and I remember my mom watching that with me. And because of that, I got to wear my Marilyn Manson shirt to school again. <laughs> Cause I oh. wasn't allowed to before. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> and I know for you, you uh, have been talking a lot about Tom DeLonge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I almost forgot. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely a legacy move. So, Tom DeLonge, as maybe most people know by now, he left, after he left Blink 182, he started getting into uh, UFO research, which mm-hmm. uh, I, I heard. Um, that that came from uh, all of the uh, the touring that he did with Blink-182. Whenever they were driving on the road, he would be reading UFO books. So he would buy some new book or they would stop in some new city and he would go to the bookstore and get a new UFO book to read while they were driving around. And he literally became pretty much one of the leading experts on, <laughs> on the UFO topic. And when WikiLeaks happened uh, in 2016... Mm-hmm. his name popped up that um, he was in touch with um, Podesta, the Podesta guy who mm. was in part of the, uh, the Clinton team. And they were going back and forth about the UFO topic. Like they wanted to, is his name John Podesta, I think? I don't remember, no. Anyway, they wanted to work with um, Tom DeLonge as basically like an intermediary with with the public for like, um, you know, leaking uh, out yeah. UFO information that the government has to the public. So anyway, whenever you see a, like a headline about this UFO stuff with Tom DeLong, they always say X blink 182. <laughs> so they always tie what he's doing now with the UFO topic back to the blink 182. I guess that's, you know, that's where everybody knows him from, Yeah, but it's, it's inevitably, that affects how, you know, people hear Blink-182 now. It's like, oh, my God. Because when they were really yeah. big back in the MTV days and stuff, yeah, you know, that was Tom DeLonge, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, so, that's a yeah. really silly one. <laughs> so now he's, yeah, the UFO. And he has a new show, which is actually pretty good, oh, yeah. Unidentified. Yeah, you were telling me about that one. Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. And uh, yeah, punk rock and UFOs go together for some <laughs> yeah. reason. Don't really know why. Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have thought it would have come to this? You know, it would be a great conclusion um, to that. It would be if like... Tom DeLong, you know, went up on stage and he's like, I've got a big announcement, everybody. Like, I've been waiting a long time to, like, tell you guys this. And then just, like, unzipped his, <laughs> his skin. And it was an alien underneath. And he's like, gotcha. And <laughs> oh, my God, I wish. And then everybody went back and listened to their Blink-182 <laughs> songs all over again. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Like, it really adds a new dimension to the music. <laughs> a new galactic dimension. Right. <laughs> Damn. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. And that concludes part one of our episode about context and continuity of artists. Stick around for part two, where Parisa and I will discuss more music things on the Trial and Error podcast. (laughs) 